In today's episode of Health Theory with Drew Manning, we discuss Drew's journey of gaining and losing 75 pounds on purpose, why mindset is critical for physical transformation, how to be vulnerable, and why you should be open to experimenting with your diet. Hey everybody, welcome to Health Theory. Today's guest is Drew Manning, the New York Times best-selling author of Fit to Fat to Fit. He slathered on 75 pounds of fat and lost it again to gain empathy and understanding for his training clients and to prove to himself, if no one else, that his theories on diet and exercise were actually correct. The adventure not only changed him, it landed him his own TV show and made him one of the most recognizable people in fitness. And Drew, <laughs> what I want to know, man, is what surprised you about that journey? It's a good question. It was how much of that transformation was more mental and emotional than just physical. Because I went into this journey thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get fat and then I'm going to get fit and it's going to be a physical thing. But the, I came out of it realizing that transformation is so much more mental and emotional than people think. And if you've never been overweight, mostly what you can relate to is the physical side of weight loss, right? Eat less and work out. You know that, right? You got that. You've lived that. But the mental and emotional side, you haven't lived that until you've kind of been down this path. And so for me, my eyes were opened. I realized just how wrong I was with trying to help people, right? And well, You mean your strategies <clears throat> were actually bad because you didn't understand the mental They weren't bad. Side? They were just incomplete. They were just focused on the physical. So if someone was struggling with their transformation, I'm like, okay, let's change up your macros, change up your calories, change up your workouts. That's the missing component, right? That's what I, uh, I focus on because that's all I knew rather than trying to help them on the mental and emotional side, which is what people struggle with, right? I think people, it's not so much a lack of knowledge, right? Uh, people know they need to eat healthy and work out. It's, it's the application on the mental and emotional side and the consistency of living that lifestyle over, over time. And that's where people struggle is, is maintaining as a lifestyle change, which is more up here than it is in the gym or in the kitchen. So I wanna really define what you mean by mental and emotional. Okay. So what is it that people are struggling with? An attachment to food, um, the emotional reward of eating, like what is it? Yeah, and it's, it's different for each person. The thing that I realized was, was how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. Whereas before I'm like, look, it's not that hard. You just, you know, stop eating the junk food, put down the soda, you go to the gym every day, what's wrong? Like it's not that hard <laughs> until I lived it. Even, even though it was only for just six months, when I switched and tried to lose the weight, that emotional connection to food was way more powerful, even for me as a trainer, someone who lived their whole life healthy. And my body went through those withdrawal symptoms, right? Almost like a, a drug addict. I, I won't say I was addicted. Some people are truly addicted. But for me, just being aware of how powerful that emotional connection to food really is. What do you do when you have cravings or you know, when, you, when you eat your emotions, when you're sad or you're happy, we celebrate or we had a stressful day. So we're like, you know what? I deserve wine and chocolate tonight because <laughs> I had a stressful day. So how do you help people hmm. through that? So I grew up in a morbidly obese family, so I, I know exactly how people can find comfort and or celebration in mm -hmm. food. How do you <clears throat> help them dive into that? Like, do you get like psychological and, mm -hmm. and actually almost like a therapist walk them through that stuff? So there's obviously a physical component of transformation so that you help them with the, the physical side. But I think, you know, it's like 10% that, 90% help them with the mental emotional side. And how I do that is, putting them in support groups, right? So it's not just me because I'm still a fit guy, but it's putting them in a support group where they, it's a safe place for them to share their struggles, their successes, their failures, and receive that encouragement and that empathy, that love, and that 
people letting them know that they're worth it to continue to fight for their health. So in researching you and coming across this whole notion of self-love <clears throat> and self-worth, it's so interesting to me how caught up in all of this that is. How often do you see where somebody's really struggling with, with that? Like there's almost a conflict of, I'm not worth pushing through and getting to my goal. I think that's the majority of people that struggle with their health. Some people really don't feel like they're worthy and how do you convince someone that they are worthy? I still don't know. It's, it's still up to them. It has to be their idea. I can't tell someone they're beautiful. They have to truly believe that they're beautiful and they have to truly believe that they're worth it. It's you know hope that by telling them and putting them in a group where other people are telling them as well, um, that they will find that inner motivation and inspiration and kind of like, you know, inception to come up with that idea themselves. Like, maybe I am worthy. Maybe, you know, I can do hard things. The health and fitness industry, in my opinion, hasn't used this fully yet. And that's kind of what my hope is with Fit to Fight Fit is to use empathy as a tool. Because I feel like empathy can bridge that gap between people that feel like they're stuck and they feel judged by society and they feel judged and, and looked down upon by people who are skinny and naturally fit. People are gonna be more willing to listen to you know, their trainer or coach. If that person has that empathy and can really come down to their level, walk in their shoes a little bit and really understand where they're coming from, and then they'll be more willing to listen to the advice that you have and the, the physical tools or hacks that you have to help them along their, their journey. You said something really interesting. You said, maybe I am worthy, maybe I can do the hard things. Do you think there's some tie between a willingness or uh, having the stick-to-itiveness to actually do the hard things, is that tied to a sense of self-worth? Like, do you think that those two feed each other? Yeah, I think they do feed each other. I don't know which one comes first. I think it's different for each person. Um, but I think, you know, if someone, for example, like is, is on a physical transformation and they're trying to get healthy, if they have these small wins in their life, right? Like, I did my first burpee, or I did my first push-up or pull-up, or you know, I ate healthy for a whole day. Um, these senses, these small things of accomplishment help build that confidence of, maybe I can do hard things. I recently had this guy from Nashville come out um, to work with me. You know, he started out 600 pounds. He's been doing keto, intermittent fasting, is down to 450 pounds. Wow. And the thing that gravitated him to me and my brand was the, the whole empathy thing and, and understanding where he's coming from um, because he felt judged by, by other people. And so he's like, Drew, I only want to work with you. And we took him to this place called Jim Jones in Salt Lake City, and they've trained the cast of 300, and they train um, Superman, um, and so these celebrities. And I'm like, okay, we're going here. And he was like scared to death. He's like, Drew, you're trying to kill me. I'm like, no, I'm not gonna kill you. Like, I understand that we're gonna start out slow, but um, you know, I had him do modifications to the things that we were doing in the workout, and it was hard for him. But at the end of the day, he's like, Drew, like he started crying, he's like, Drew, I, like this was the best thing for me. Like being able to do, you know, ball slams like you guys and being able to do like modified push-ups. He's like, I haven't moved my body in, in years. And um, I, I think after he came out here, like he was super confident and, and I had him say these pos positive affirmations to himself. Like I can do hard things as he's doing the workout. I can do hard things as he's doing farmer's carries and wanted to give up, but he pushed harder. And if I can get him to believe that he can do hard things, even though it's small at first, then that's gonna help motivate him and push him, you know, when he tries to do something that it's like, oh, that's impossible, there's no way I could do that. But now he's like, maybe I can do that. Dude, let's talk <laughs> about hard things. I love that sure. so much. And yeah. like, I'm absolutely obsessed with the notion of earning credibility with yourself. Yeah. Where you say you're gonna do something, you do it. You push yourself to do something that's difficult and you stick with it. And I think, mm -hmm. I don't know that I've ever really put a super fine point on what 
what is the birthplace of self-worth. Mm-hmm. But if you were going to force me to do it, yeah. doing hard things is almost certainly like the most foundational. It's probably not the sum total, yeah. but the willingness to stick through it and actually do the hard things is almost certainly like the core of that. Yeah. So how do you, somebody that isn't coming and they're not working with you mm-hmm. and you have to do it remotely, um, what would you prescribe to them to do to show them that they can do the hard things to begin building that self-worth? Yeah, put out these mini challenges throughout the month. Like, okay, you guys, this month we're gonna focus, sometimes it's a physical thing, but other times it's like, hey guys, for 30 days, I wanna challenge you to do maybe three to five positive affirmations every single day. And all you're saying to yourself is, I can do hard things, or I am worthy, or I love myself, and I'm proud of who I am. It's not a direct um, you know, cause of weight loss, but if you can uh, set yourself up for this win, that's gonna help you set, set, that's gonna help set you up for these other wins down the road when it comes to the workout you're gonna do this month or sticking with whatever diet you're trying to do for that month, because then you realize, man, I can do hard things, even if you don't believe it at first. And that's the thing, people really don't believe positive affirmations at first, because they've had 30, 40 years of negative self-talk. And now you're trying to tell them, you know, just say these things out loud to yourself. Words have power and they can actually change your beliefs and they can actually change you at the cellular level the more you say them consistently. So I think there's something to saying positive words about yourself to yourself every single day. And so that's, that's one thing that I do in these private Facebook groups to build that confidence and, and uh, convince that person that they can do hard things. That, <laughs> dude, so I'm obviously way into self-talk, the narrative that you tell yourself about yourself. What do you tell people when they're like, but I don't believe it? Mm-hmm. And so is, is it just, well, repeating it is mm-hmm. the key here, and so it's part of the process of beginning to believe? Or yeah. do you have something else that helps somebody get over that notion of, you're asking me to say something that I fundamentally think is false? Yeah, and I, I think for some people it does work where the more consistent they say it out, out loud to themselves, they do eventually believe it. Because honestly, that was my testimonial. I've been through this in a different way, not from a physical transformation, but self-worth, negative self-talk. For me, saying it out loud helped me believe it. If I remember the first time I said a positive affirmation, I had goosebumps and I almost started crying. Like, and um, for me, like a tough dude, it was weird. Um, So for me, just kind of telling you my own testimony of this, it's changed my life 100%. Saying positive words can help set you up for positive wins throughout the day in other areas of your life. So I wanna to go to your journey with self-talk. Okay. So episode 100 of your podcast, beyond <laughs> amazing, by the way, absolutely incredible, and obviously speaks to your tattoo that yeah. vulnerability is strength. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that, like how did that become such an important thing for you? Um, what was episode 100? Why did you do it? I mean, like <laughs> a lot of questions around that. 100%, first of all, thank you for listening to it. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Um, I was, cause I was scared to death to post that. So my whole life, my, the culture I grew up in from religion to sports to my family was, you know, um, vulnerability is a weakness. You, know, you don't talk about your feelings. And that was just the way I grew up. You know, sports, football, wrestling, you know, you don't make excuses, you just do it. And if you make a mistake, there's a punishment. And same thing with the religion I grew up in. You know, if you weren't perfect and you sinned, then there was some type of punishment to where I felt shamed, I felt guilt. And so my whole life for 30 plus years was surrounded by guilt and shame because here I was trying to be perfect on the outside for everybody, for my parents, my church leaders, my coaches, my my spouse at the time. Um, When in reality, I knew that I was a fraud. I had weaknesses and I wasn't perfect. 
And, but I couldn't deal with that. From a very young age, I would hide it because I'm like, you know what, it's better just to pretend and fake it rather than um, uh, you know, the disappointment um, and uh, having that punishment in my life. And so from a very young age, I developed that habit of, you know what, it's, it's not worth confessing or talking about it because then you know, everybody knows. And the guilt and the shame just consumed me and eventually broke me to where I just lived a life of um, lies. And it was inauthentic and eventually broke me as a man. And that was the that was the start of me starting to transform and change my perspective of how I viewed myself. Once I learned how to love myself and realizing that shame has so much more power over you when you don't talk about it, <laughs> the things that bring you shame. And so for me, having that courage to talk about things that were embarrassing, you know, growing up or that brought me shame, I realized that it's not as scary as I thought in my head. I would create these stories in my head of how scary it would be if people found out the real me. Um, but once I owned my story and embraced vulnerability as a strength, changed my life. I can authentically be me for the first time in my life. I feel like I'm finally living, but it took me 34 years to figure this out. And I wish I would have figured this out at a young age, but I had no one there to teach me. I had to learn from making mistakes. So for me, with everything that happened from you know pornography and affair and all these things that are looked at as bad, I'm 100% grateful for. Why? Because it changed who I am and I can finally live an authentic life and I own my story. I have no embarrassment or guilt or shame. Like Talking about it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. It doesn't embarrass me anymore. And my hope is that other people that, have, that are in that situation or have been through that situation have that hope and can find that courage within to embrace vulnerability and own your story because life's short, man. And I wish I would have learned this at a younger age so that I didn't have to go through all that, that heartache. How do you love yourself where you are when you're, you're ashamed or you feel guilty? Like, how do you find that connection to, to the love? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think what it stems from is expectations on life. Like we have expectations of if I do this, then I will be, I will be this. And rather than faking it and pretending like it didn't happen or not talking about it, um, embrace the entire story and realize that everything happens for your greater good. Like this happened, like this pornography addiction or this affair happened so that you can grow from this to become who you're supposed to be. And I couldn't learn that from religion. I, had to, I couldn't learn that from, you know, the culture I grew up in. I had to learn it from other people, like being open to other people and their philosophies and theories, like Brene Brown's books and uh, Byron Katie and, and so many other books, like The Four Agreements, The Fifth Agreement, totally changed my perspective of how I view life and how I view me, right? And I, I realized I suffered in life because of how I viewed myself. I saw myself as a failure because of these, you know, weaknesses or sins that I had. And um, because of that, I did failure-like things because I saw myself as a failure. And um, if I had learned that at an earlier age to love myself, I feel like all my other relationships would have been so much better. And I feel like every relationship in your life stems from how you view yourself. Everything's a mirror of how you view yourself, the way you treat your spouse, your kids, your, your loved ones, and a complete stranger starts with how you view yourself really powerful man and um what you ended episode 100 it was really powerful and it hit me like i actually got emotional when you said it and you it, it was like the wrap up and so you just kind of throwing off comments but there was one thing you said and i really felt it and it was like 
basically, I hope you guys are cool with me sharing all of this. How you feel about it, it's really not my business anyway. That's your business and you'd already talked about that whole thing. And you said, you know, I'm just trying to love myself and to be worthy of love. And like that one really stopped me in my tracks. And I just thought, wow, like that's so powerful to have as sort of a guiding force in your life. What does that look like for you to, to be worthy of love? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and to be totally honest with you, I think that's something that kind of like fitness, I always have to work on, right? Because um, I'm not perfect, you know, even all the work that I've done has got me to a better place, but I still, you know, sometimes struggle with that, um, that, that, you know, feeling worthy of love. So it's something you constantly have to work on, like health and fitness and nutrition. Like, it, it's not like there's a finish line, you're done, boom, no matter what happens in life, you're, you'll be good. Um, it's something that I constantly have to work on to remind myself. So things like meditation every day on a daily basis, saying positive affirmations, even still, because um, I've noticed there's times in my life where I get busy with work and I don't do them and I notice a big difference and I start to believe those old, those old thoughts come back. And so if you don't put in the work every day, just like exercise, you, you lose that, um, that positive self-talk and that negative self-talk will always be there, I feel like, and so it's a constant battle. It's interesting because there's so many parallels to fitness and the mindset. And when you were talking about in the, when you gained all the weight that you just didn't have the energy and you didn't want to work out for the first time in your life, you yeah. didn't want to work out. Mm -hmm. And to parallel that to the same thing going on mentally where if you're not staying on top of it, all of a sudden something that you can sort of take for granted, this desire to feel good, feeling positive about yourself, believing positive things about yourself, mm -hmm. that also begins to to atrophy, just like a muscle. Yeah, back then I focused so much on the physical aspect of, of weight loss or just transformation in general. But now I've been doing this for years, I realize like that's what we're missing in the f health and fitness industry is it's not just physical, right? The mental, the emotional, and even spiritual side are all paralleled and like it has to be a complete transformation. Otherwise it's just it's gonna be a diet that people do for 30 or 60 days. But if they can work on the mental, emotional, spiritual while they're working on the physical, that's where I feel like people will really truly be fulfilled because they realize that it's not just about being skinny or having six pack that brings them fulfillment, right? Like Tony Robbins says, success without fulfillment is ultimate failure. So you could have the perfect body, but so many people with perfect bodies are miserable inside and they hate themselves still. Why? Because they don't take care of the mental, emotional, and spiritual and they have to all be taken care of. Otherwise they all atrophy, like you said, and you'll, you'll be, you'll find out that your life is, is um, out of balance in a way. And so what does that look like? So we all know sort of what a good diet and exercise looks like. <laughs> yeah. What is, so you mentioned daily affirmations, mm -hmm. uh, positive affirmations. What are some other things that you would have people do as sort of a, a part of just like your regular routine? Uh, daily gratitude list. And what I mean by that is, is looking around you and being grateful for what you have now, rather than like, oh, I'll be happy when I reach my first million dollars. I'll be happy when, um, you know, this or that happens in business. I think a lot of people do it wrong, though. They, you know, just like with physical transformation, they're like, oh, I'll be happy when I meet this goal and then I'll celebrate. I think that's where people struggle and people suffer because they get unhappy because they're not there yet, right? And then they get there and they're like, well, that wasn't it. What is it now? Like they're looking for something else, some kind of outside source of happiness. When in reality, you can create it inside. You know, you can choose to do it. It's hard. It takes rewiring your brain. It doesn't happen overnight. But um, I promise you that, you know, if you can do things like a, great, a daily gratitude list every single day, that's going to uh, help you be fulfilled in the here and now while you're working on a better version of yourself. How important is reading been to you? <clears throat> 
it's changed my life, man. And like, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I grew up a total meathead, <laughs> you know, like I, I did not read books, you know, I didn't, I just was like, oh, movies and TV shows are way better. Um, once I, and that's when, you know, the whole divorce thing happened. And I was like, I had time to myself at, you know, when I didn't have my kids and I'm like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I'm going to sit up and watch Game of Thrones like at night, the rest of my life, or it's a cool TV show, but, and I actually did that for a while. <laughs> that's why I mentioned that. But then I was like, you know, I'm just going to read some books. And then that's where my life coach had me read Loving What Is. And then uh, someone had told me about this book called Daring Greatly. And I'm like, okay, I'll read it. And then my eyes were open and my perspective was changed. And I feel like you are the combination of the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, the people you surround yourself with. And then I realized, man, there's so much more information out there that I didn't have access to until I started reading books. What was it about Brene Brown's Daring Greatly that really resonated for you? It was the guilt and the shame. Living a life of, of uh, surrounded by guilt and shame and her showing me like the light at the end of the, end of the tunnel of how to get out of it um, really gave me hope and um, courage to... Um, own my story and talk about it. And that's, you know, even when I read her book, you know, before episode 100 happened, which is where I went public with my story, mm -hmm. that was about two years of reading her book over and over again. It wasn't like overnight, like, boom, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell everybody about this. It took me a while to get to a place where I was okay emotionally and spiritually to share my story. It wasn't just like, I think Brene talks about this. Uh, there's a difference between oversharing and being <laughs> vulnerable, right? And I feel like the difference for me was being ready, like being true to who you are when that message comes out, right? And what your your intentions are, what your hope is with it, rather than just like vomiting everything for everyone and, and really not giving people any direction of like what to do with it or like, that's a great story, but you know, like, you know, how did you grow or what are the key takeaways? I think, you know, the life coach and um, the books that I've read have really taught me how much of our stories that we create in our head aren't true. And just breaking that cycle of the stories that I've told myself my entire life, I can let go of because I know they're not true because I've kind of tested those waters. And, you know, I can't remember who said it, but we suffer a thousand times more in our head than we do in reality. Yeah. Okay. Now that we've figured out what a huge part of this whole journey it is, the mental and emotional connection to food. Mm -hmm. You've remained in extraordinary shape. You've had a lot of really successful transformations. What are your recommendations in terms of diet and exercise for somebody who's ready? They've gotten gotcha. sort of mentally prepped. They're ready to go down the actual sort of mechanistic part mm -hmm. of this journey. Yeah, that's a great question. So my goal is to help people become their own self-experimentation, right? So I'm a huge fan of the ketogenic diet, right? I went on the Dr. Oz show talking about the benefits of keto and I fell in love with it, to be honest with you. But it might not be for everybody. And But what I tell people is be open to experimenting, whether it's a plant-based diet or paleo or keto or whatever it is, be open to some kind of experimentation with your body because it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. I can't just give you a diet of 2,000 calories that's 70% fat, 25% protein, 5% carbs, and then boom, it'll magically work for you. Um, just realizing that you know what works for me or you or someone else might not work for you, that's totally fine. Let's go, let's find something else that works for you. So um, helping people realize that it's a... Uh, it's a journey, not a destination. It's not a race to the finish line, right? It's not like, how much weight can I lose in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of effort, <laughs> you know? Just realize that this is a, a lifestyle. It's gonna take time. And, but being open to changing things, upgrading, evolving as you are on your journey. Let me ask you secret of secret questions. Okay, gotcha. Do you think though <laughs> that everybody should try keto? Try. 100%. 
I think so. Why? Because I feel like for most people, if they can experience the mental clarity, the improvement in cognitive function, just that alone will change people's lives. And so for me, I think, yes, there could be a weight loss and a fat loss um, component of it. But for me, the biggest thing with keto is shifting from running off glucose to running off ketones just for your brain. Like nutrition for your brain is probably the most remarkable thing. Uh, being able to go from eating six, seven meals a day to eating once or twice a day and feeling optimal or going seven days without food and still functioning as a parent, as you know, running your business, like traveling. I've done that and it's amazing because I was told that you can't do that otherwise you'll lose all your muscle mass. But for me, I think it's worth experimenting with just for um, how your brain can improve. There's a million ways to lose fat, yeah, right? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And I think both you and I, so I used to be about 60 pounds heavier. I lost all yeah, my fat really in rapid <laughs> starvation, right? It was yeah. total misery. I hated every <laughs> single minute of it. But it worked. Yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, but my thing is, and I find this so interesting about keto, I think you're right. It's an end of one. Everybody needs to do self-experimentation. You've got to try it because it. It's the one dietary thing I would say changed my life completely yeah. from just being in a constant state of inflammation to then like that sense of your inflammation drops to essentially zero, mm-hmm. your relationship to hunger changes. Um, you know, I agree with you. I think that there is so much individual variability. Everybody has to try it. But keto is the one thing I'll say everybody should try it. Yeah. Whether it works for them or not, I can't say. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, our bodies were designed to do that for a reason. We have this backup system, uh, you know, or whatever you want to call it, known as ketosis, for a reason, right? Like, it's how our species evolved, right? Uh, If we didn't have, uh, you know, the ketogenic state, we probably would have died off as a species, right? Because we went and we had to go times without food, right? There's feasts and famine. And it wasn't until like maybe 100 or 200 years ago where we had access to food on demand pretty much where we could go to grocery stores or there was always an abundance of food. And and because we've grown up in that, we've kind of like, well, we have to eat three square meals a day. You know, that's what we're taught. And it's like, no, you can go a long period of time without food actually and still function and, and, and thrive actually. It is so powerful and so transformative and changes your relationship to hunger and all that. Um, and for me, probably the most important thing was just the aches and pains that went mm-hmm. away, uh, yeah. which was a really big deal. Let's talk about fasting. <laughs> yeah. I read a book by Dr. Jason Fung called The Complete Guide to Fasting. And I learned about more about the science behind it. But I think fasting has a, there's a physical component, there's a mental component, and a spiritual component, right? Uh, physically, we know that it's great for anti-aging, longevity, um, anti-cancer, um, better digestion, uh, cell regeneration in your body. That's the physical component. Yeah, some people do it for weight loss, which I do not do it for. Uh, there's a mental component too. Knowing that you can go a day, two, three, however long without food and live and actually thrive, just realizing that you don't have to be a slave to food, um, you can be in control of your body, is, is um, it's, it's amazing for your body and your mind to realize that you're okay without food, like you'll be okay, you know, you're not gonna die. And then a spiritual component, like there's a reason almost every major religion has some type of fasting in it. You know, in the Mormon religion, uh, we grew up fasting uh, one, 24 hours uh, uh, a month. Like one day a month, you fast for 24 hours. And I hated it as a kid. So, you know, my perception of what uh, fasting was, was like, uh, this sucks. But there's a spiritual component, like being able to be more in tune with your body and spirit uh, without having food to distract you. Um, is really powerful. And I feel like it can uh, be spiritually uplifting, you know, whether you're religious or not, just being more in tune with your body and, and your spirit as well. Like you, you, you are a soul. Uh, I do really believe that. 
Um, and I think fasting is a way to tap into that. And um, so there's a physical, mental, and spiritual component to fasting that I just love. And so for me, I will, I, I intermittent fast almost every day. And then extended fasting, I do kind of as a cleanse, maybe two to three times a year. And all, it ranges anywhere from three days on the lower end to, um, you know, I've done a seven day fast before, but I'll admit for me already being really lean, that was kind of, that was kind of tough. Like day seven <laughs> was really hard for me. And this was during the winter in Utah and my body temperature drops. So I get freezing colds. And then it was during Christmas season. So there, we were going to Christmas parties and there was food everywhere. I'm like, okay, next time I do this, like I gotta be like by myself, you know? Um, but for me and my sweet spot is, four days and water only. So I'll do water and just a little bit of salt, mm. right? And that's what I found works best for me. Yeah, it's really, um, <clears throat> I think it's super important for people to at least give fasting a try because mm -hmm. so my bias is living forever. So the only thing that's been shown <laughs> across every species to elongate lifespan is caloric restriction. Mm -hmm. And when you realize it seems, studies suggest, that yeah. you get all of the benefits of chronic caloric restriction by doing um, just I even intermittent fasting where it's a timed window. So yeah. you take in the same number of calories, but you do it over a condensed period of time. Yeah. Um, that is, I think, super important for people to experiment with and look at and see what kind of effect that yeah. has on them. And I think there's a balance too, because I think there's you know quantity of life, but there's also quality of life. Uh, it's not like you need to fast and just eat at a calorie deficit for, deficit for the rest of your life. Like, you know, enjoy life too, you know? Have some wine, you know, have a beer every once in a while and pizza, like, you know, but, you know, when and, and it, when it feels right to you. Can I confess something? Yeah, go ahead. I had ice cream this weekend. You did? <laughs> Real ice cream? amazing. <laughs> Real ice cream? Real ice cream. Not like 100%. Halo Top? No, 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 or, no. Okay, yeah. <laughs> ice cream, Cold Stone. <laughs> wow. And my wife and I just decided to like make a, we, we've been working so much yeah. that just to have a reconnect weekend and to do something fun. Yeah. And she was like, you know, you game for this. And it was rad. Yeah, it was and worth it. Was, it. Yeah, it was a super good <laughs> reminder that while I think you can obviously get yourself into trouble if you're not in control of that. Yeah. But for me, I probably cheat on my diet three times a year. So yeah. it's like, I'm, I don't have an addictive personality, first of all, so like yeah. that's not a, a real thing for me. Um, but dipping into it, and like you said, and I've heard you talk wonderfully <laughs> about this, like you said something like, oh, if I'm at my mom's house and it's Christmas and she makes you know some special bread thing, I'm gonna have the special bread. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> and I, I love that. Talk about that, like yeah. how can people, um, because I, here's what makes me sad. Eating ice cream is awesome. Yeah. Being alone by yourself in the corner of the ice cream shop, shoveling it down mm -hmm. and not making eye contact with people and you're clearly not having fun, like that breaks my heart every time I see it. Yeah. That. It's similar to kind of consuming alcohol. Like are you by yourself celebrating by, or are you celebrating by yourself or are you kind of down on yourself and you're eating your emotions with that substance, whether it's ice cream or alcohol or drugs, whatever it is, like what's your intention behind it? For me, those types of moments with whether it's alcohol or whether it's certain types of foods are meant to be you know, a bonding thing with, with family or friends or um, a positive experience. Um, and yes, I think in that situation, if your intention is just, I'm eating, I'm stressed out, so, and no one's watching, so now's the time to do it. That's where I think that's uh, a behavior that needs to be worked on, right? And um, I wish it was as simple as saying, well, just don't do it, right? Like you wouldn't tell a drug addict like, hey, stop doing drugs, what's wrong with you? It's not that hard, you just put it down. It's similar for some people, right? Where they're, you know, eating their emotions and they're so ashamed by it that they, you know, have to do it by themselves and it's sad. And I feel like that's where 
that self-worth comes in and the need for a support system and accountability come into play. And um, it's not like a black, it's not black and white. There's so many gray areas. A lot of it has to do with trauma or, or self-worth from a very young age. And now we're trying to tell people like, yeah, you, you're beautiful, you're worth it. And just change your behavior overnight. I wish it was that easy, but just realize that it's constant battle. It's never ending. You're always gonna fight it for the rest of your life. But um, just realize that you're worth it to keep fighting. That's my message, that's my hope for people. <laughs> Do you think that there are universal recommendations that everyone should be doing? If your diet is, con- is mostly consists of uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Mountain Dew like mine was, <laughs> you know, all these processed foods, which look, I'll be honest with you, they're convenient, they're affordable, they're super, they're cheap compared to, you know, a salad or whatever. And they taste really good, I, they really do. And they are, they can be very addictive for some people. If you're eating real food most of the time, and you're moving your body every single day, uh, biking or swimming or Zumba, dancing, ecstatic dance, uh, whatever it is, moving your body, right? Just getting out there and moving and eating real food. Um, you know, no one, it's super easy to eat 20 cookies, right? Like if you're like stressed out and you're having these baked goods in your house, but no one's gonna eat, sit down and eat 10, 20 avocados, right? <laughs> I mean, I've never seen anyone do that because they're stressed out. And I think if we could just get people to focus on the process of the habits that make a healthy lifestyle rather than the results, then I think the results will take care of themselves. You have two daughters. How do you deal with food and them? I mean, especially knowing how tasty processed (laughs) foods are. That's a great question. I always ask other parents when they come on my podcast, like what works for them? Because it's different for each family, for each kid. Because I see both ways of being overly strict, right? And not letting them touch a processed carbohydrate or any refined sugar. And then I know that the moment they're with grandma or with their, at their friend's house on a play day or they're at school where other kids are eating candy and they can't, there's moments where I can't control what they're going to eat. But when they're with me, I try and control what they eat and teach them about why we eat certain foods. Like, why are we eating vegetables? It's not a punishment, right? I'm not making you do it. It's, there's a reason I'm, you know, we, we're supposed to be eating vegetables and here's why. So from, my girls are seven and nine and they know what uh, broccoli is, they know what cauliflower is and, you know, we go grocery shopping together. I help, uh, I have them help chop food and, and prepare the food so they're in there in are the kitchen. things like micronutrients? I mean, they don't understand saying? that. So basically, and this is what I do is I say, hey, on the inside of us, there's a lot of good guys and there's a lot of bad guys. And when we eat vegetables, our good guys get stronger and they can beat up the bad guys. But when we're eating junk food, the bad guys, they get strong and they beat up the good guys and that's when we feel sick. That's kind of what I tell them and it seems to work. Um, but, you know, I'll be honest with you, we do have treats every once in a while, but I'll get them like Halo Top ice cream or something like that. Uh, or I'll make them a keto cookie and they don't really know, you know. <laughs> but then they're with grandma this week, for example, in, in Idaho. And I know she's going to give them, you know, juice with high fructose corn syrup. And it kills me. <laughs> but I can't micromanage every single person that comes into my daughter's life. So don't beat yourself up. Just do the best you can with what you have. It's not going to be perfect. They're going to, you know, have access to this food at some point in time. But if you can control what they eat when you're with them, then that's all you can control, right? And I, I don't have the energy to micromanage every single food piece of food that goes in, into their mouth. Right. All right, before I ask my last question, where okay. can these guys find you online? Easy, uh, fit number two, fat number two fit. That's my book, it's my podcast, it's my website, all my social media handles. I try and keep it consistent and I try and keep you guys entertained on social media. <laughs> Excellent. And then my last question, what is one change that people could make 
to their diet that would have the biggest impact. And I'll be cheeky and sneak in and say, and also what's one change that they could make to have to their workout routine mm -hmm. that would have the biggest impact. Gotcha. So the number one thing diet, uh, diet wise is don't be afraid of healthy fats, uh, coconut oil, avocados, olives, um, implementing these healthier fats into your diet. Just starting off with that. We've been, been doing low fat for so long. I think just adding in healthy fats can make a huge difference with people feeling, you know, satiated and fuller longer. Um, I think that's, that's the, the easiest thing to do for people, right? And people like butter and they like, you know, a full fat cheese. And so um, these types of healthy fats, I think, could, could, would be an easy, good start. As far as workout goes, the easiest thing would, to, would be to do interval training. So get your heart rate up to a very high level, whether it's walking up the stairs, walking uphill, uh, running on a treadmill, or maybe let's say you run for 30 seconds, you get your heart rate up, whatever it is that you're doing to get your heart rate up for 30 seconds, that could be jumping jacks, right? And then recovering for about 30 seconds. And then repeating that for about 10 minutes will give you the most bang for your buck in my opinion. Nice, awesome. Yeah. Thanks Tom, Thank so really appreciate it man. man. Yeah, it was my awesome pleasure. to have you. <laughs> Guys. Guys, this one is one you are going to have an absolute blast diving in and discovering his whole notion of vulnerability is strength. That whole side, I don't see anybody else talking about it the way that he's talking about it and recognizing that the reason most people get addicted to food in the first place, because even if you want to say that that is a fundamental reason that leads people astray, they get there for a reason and it isn't just that it's delicious, it isn't just that it's inexpensive, those are both parts of it. But the big thing is most of us have some sort of trauma, some sort of thing that we've been building up in our lives, negative stories about who we are, whether we're worthy of love, whether we can love ourselves. And that is the thing that's really holding them back and not going in and doing that work is why people struggle and do self-sabotaging behavior. And because his own story has so much of that in it and because he shares so raw and so vulnerably, it is that bridge that he talks about between where you are and where you want to get to, the non-judgmental acceptance of a group that he's putting people in and giving them that safe space, which is something that he talked a lot about in this episode. And I hope that you guys were listening to that because that is what many of you need. You need that safe space inside yourself and you need that safe space with other people that you can trust. And his voice is that voice in this industry. And the fact that he's also yoked doesn't <laughs> hurt. So you know that he's at least been able to do it once, uh, which is really, really extraordinary. But it's really the kindness that emanates off of him. It's the relatability. It's that he's extended um, his own story out so that other people can connect to something and see that there's a lot more going on for him just as there is for anybody else than what you see on the outside. And that is extraordinary. And that's why I think he's such a special voice in this space. And he's been at it for a really long time. So he's got a lot of amazing content that I think you guys will benefit from. And most importantly, because we were talking about this before the camera started rolling, now there's so many of us out there that have been doing this for years. You get to watch that person change. So you can even watch how his notions of what a healthy diet and exercise are change and evolve as he's changed and evolved. It's really, really pretty extraordinary. I think you guys are gonna love it. All right, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. My man. Thanks. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now. 
building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.